All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by Jackie Mitchell. Hey, good to be here. And in spirit, we are joined by producer Jerry. He's out. But he left. He left. He didn't want to sit in here and listen to us. He just want to hear us talk. talk, Which I don't know why. Now, Jackie, uh, tonight, today, we're going to go through Genesis 13. Yes. Which is Abram coming out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. We ended last time with him going down into Egypt. And we'll get into that here in a second. But uh, my understanding is that Last night, you got smoked in bowling. Yeah, I did. Really bad. Tell me about that. Tell tell our listeners about that. We wanted to do like a group hangout for our small group, Mm -hmm. our college small group. And we threw out some ideas. And then this this one guy in our group was like, we should go bowling. And then when we were like, okay, where should we go bowling? He named like three lanes that he was like, I don't like this place because their lanes are too oily. We were like, oh, (laughs) he like really knows like (laughs) what he's doing. He showed up with his own ball and smoked all of us. It was awful. He showed up with his own ball? Oh yeah. We were playing, some of us were playing with bumpers and we couldn't beat him. It was like crazy. If someone, if someone shows up to bowling with their own custom bowling ball, like they mean business. Can I say my dad was like a state champion bowler? Yeah. In high school. And he had his own ball and shoes and we would go bowling. And I don't know why, but when you're like 13 and your dad like brings his own ball and shoes to the bowling place, because everything's embarrassing when you're like oh. in middle school, you're like, it's so embarrassing that he has his own ball and shoes. It's so, like, it's kind of cool now. It's like, it's cool. He, I don't know yeah. if I'd say it's cool. But. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, so it's you're, interesting. So you're kind of like a family disappointment in that sense. Yeah, I, yeah, I really, I bowled a 70, I think. It's not good. Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It's not good. Your dad's <laughs> probably out there rolling 200s. I, I think he is. Yeah. You're, you're putting up double digits. Yeah. And this, this guy, um, hit his personal record playing against us. Wow. What do you, what do you bowl? I, it was like a one ninety something like yeah, that. It was crazy. Wow. And he was like, yeah, that's actually my personal best. No big deal. We're all like <laughs> double did di- low, double digits. 70. <laughs> Jeez. That's like hitting one pin. <laughs> so embarrassed. Then you have bumpers. Yeah. And I had bumpers. That's yeah. Not, that's really good <laughs> not good. Not good. All right. Well, we'll we'll work on that. We're we're gonna. Yeah, I'll be training. Uh, somebody at our church told me on Sunday that at the pace that we're going mm-hmm. through the Bible, that we will be all the way through Revelation in twenty three years. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the end of this process, when when I'm sixty or whatever, however old I'll be, <laughs> and you're in Fif- your yeah, 50s, I'm in my fifties. Maybe maybe you can also improve your bowling skill at that point. We can show, I can do anything in that time frame. We can show progress. Yeah, all, we'll have to give like yearly stats and updates to like. We'll get you. We'll get you stuff. to triple digits in twenty years. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Well, we are uh, in the middle of of a of a crazy story right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into it, I would like to say, if you listen to this podcast and you have been enjoying it, please give us a five star rating. Give us a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. Uh, and so we're kind of in the middle of what I think is a very fun section of the Bible, which is the story of Abram. Yeah. So two weeks ago, we went through the call of Abram. Yeah. And then last week, we talked about Abram going down into Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where where are we in the story? Help 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 us. So remember. Abram was in Egypt. There's a famine, correct? So he 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 yeah, went down to Egypt. Yep, yep. Which is some foreshadowing for us. We'll see again. When he goes um, and he takes, you know, everyone with him and his wife, he tells, um, because she's technically his half sister, he says, say you're my sister. So Pharaoh sees her. She's beautiful. um, Takes her to his palace and then plagues start happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. Another foreshadowing. Yeah. Right. And then Pharaoh sends them away, basically says like, you know, why wouldn't you tell me she's really your wife? 
take all the stuff I've given you and just go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh's supposed to go to Abram because Abram's the brother. And that's the way that this kind of cultural context worked. He didn't. He took what he wanted. Without asking, yeah. yeah, In the way that that we do. It's sort of actually the foundation of sin, which we'll talk about that again today because, um, you know, you see the apple in in the garden. You see the fruit. It looks good, so you take Mm -hmm. it. And basically, Pharaoh does that with with Sarah. And so, although that story is oftentimes interpreted like Abram did something wrong by saying that she's his sister and and trying to save his own, you know, his own life, uh, the story actually kind of plays out in in the way that that Pharaoh is actually the one who yeah. was wrong, right? And yeah. That's why the judgment comes upon the house of Pharaoh, and uh, and so 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 they come they come out of Egypt, and all of this is against the backdrop of the fact that God has called Abram out of Ur, mm-hmm. which is basically where the Tower of Babel happened. And he and his father, Terah, and their families settled in Haran, which is in southern Turkey, mm-hmm. instead of going to Canaan, which I think is where they were going. And so then uh, God calls Abram again and says, go, go, to, go to Canaan, go to this land that I'm promising you, and I'm going to turn you into a great nation, and you will be blessed, and those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed, and ultimately all the people on earth will be blessed through you mm-hmm. and this family that will come through you. And Abram believes. Yeah. And we talked about this aspect of faith, yeah, which we're going to keep coming back to because sometimes the— reformed protestant understanding of faith as just thinking an idea and saying a prayer yeah it makes a lot of the bible unintelligible because the bible is about people doing things right it's not right. necessarily about people earning their salvation yeah it's about people believing god and and going yeah that their faith makes them do something right yeah that their faith is embodied mm-hmm. right and so um abram believes that God has his deepest blessings in mind. Yeah. Which is one of the things that stops us from being faithful, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, Ryan Donovan did a, a, we were in a series called Hearing from God. He did a Father's Day message. And and one of the, the messages uh, about hearing from God connected to Father's Day is, is that you have to view the way that God speaks to you through the lens of the love of a father. Yeah. And one of the reasons that's profound is because, you know, a good a good earthly father will, you know, move his his child in the direction that's best for his child. Yeah. No matter what that costs him, no matter what the other implications are, that's his kid. Right. He loves them. You know, it's it's like this is kind of like a, a bad example. But if you're a father and you love your child and your child commits a crime. And you will be on the front lines hiring defense lawyers mm. and trying to help your child, even if even if they're guilty, right? Because mm. that is the love of a, of a father. And uh, one of the reasons that we struggle to obey God is because we struggle with this idea. We struggle with the fact that he does have our, our deepest blessing. Yeah, which is just how children behave a lot of the time. Yeah. We really think sometimes like, you know, when you're young, you're like, my parents are so like, <laughs> they're not letting me do this, this, and this. And if I could just do all those things, I'd be yeah. way cooler. And you get, you know, you look back on it and it's like, they were doing that for my good. I couldn't eat just candy all the right. time. I couldn't play in the street. Why? Because those things weren't beneficial to me. Right, right. They seemed fun to me at the time, but they weren't beneficial for me and my well-being. Yeah. 
So a lot of the Christian life, I think, you know, you've quoted Bonhoeffer before, but mm-hmm. when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the Christian life is is a walk into some kind of sacrifice, into discomfort, into the mm-hmm. unknown, trusting that God has your deepest happiness in mind. Right. And if you look at the situation that God is calling you to and you say, I don't know if that's the best thing for me, you're not going to go. Yeah. Right. Because... Um, he will he will put you in those uncomfortable situations. This is what he does with Abram. But what we see with Abram is not only does he go, but he starts establishing altars and calling on the name of the Lord. He starts worshiping God and and uh, in his priestly call and vocation, as he establishes these altars, he's claiming ground for Yahweh in the midst of mm-hmm. the Canaanite rebels. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the curse that Noah puts on Ham is the backdrop of a lot of what we're going to see over the next couple chapters. Yeah, because he's Ham is the father of the Canaanites. Right. Yeah. So usually when we read that story, we say, okay, they got off the boat and some weird thing happened and, yeah. and it shows that humans are sinful. And we just kind of like brush over it. But that, that uh, pronouncement of blessing upon Shem mm-hmm. and curse upon Ham is the backdrop of the rest of this story. Because who will the descendants of Shem, of Shem, the Hebrews, be fighting throughout the whole Old Testament. Most, mostly the Canaanites, The Canaanites, right? yeah. And they're the sons of Ham who mm-hmm. are cursed. So that is that is a huge theological backdrop of, of everything that we're seeing. And so here's Abram beginning to establish, you know, uh, uh, dominion over the land that, that the Canaanites are currently uh, um, Occupying, and so the famine yeah. drives him into Egypt, and and like you said, Pharaoh acts wickedly and takes Sarai, and so God brings judgment upon the house of Pharaoh, and mm-hmm. then they they leave. Um, the you know Pharaoh tells them to go. He blames them. Yeah, he blames Abram, even though he's the one who yeah. sinned, and tells them to go with all the spoils that they that they've been given. Mm-hmm. Right, and so what we're going to see in the Exodus is we're going to see the Israelites be treated poorly by Pharaoh. And then plagues come upon Pharaoh, mm-hmm. and then they get sent out with all of the spoils. Yeah, they're allowed to take gold. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, and, and I don't, I don't, this is not like an important theological point, but sometimes we talk about the cross as the second exodus. Yeah. That's kind of the third. And maybe what we're going to see here is that there's lots of mini exoduses, yeah. right? Yeah. So the exodus from Egypt in the book of Exodus is a like a paramount event. Yeah. And, and so that is the pattern of the cross. That, that the cross fulfills, but here you see something that the Exodus is going to fulfill. We're going to see a lot of these, yeah. Yeah, deliverance mm-hmm. where, you know, uh, why is why is Pharaoh cursed with plagues? Well, because those who curse you, I will curse. Yeah. Right? Why does Abram leave with, with uh, spoils? Because he's blessed mm-hmm. by God. It's all in that Abrahamic promise, right? Mm-hmm. And so here uh, we, we come to an episode where we're going to start to shift a little bit of our attention to the character of Lot. Yeah. And so Lot, uh, we kind of forgot about him for a second. Yeah. Theoretically, He's there, but we haven't really talked about him in a while. Yeah. So theoretically, he was with them through this whole episode, right? Yeah. So so um, he becomes very consequential theologically because at the moment, Lot, who is Abram's nephew, is the, the heir. Yeah. So the seed that we're talking about uh, Abram and Sarah can't have kids. And so the seat is Lot. Mm-hmm. Right now in the story, he is in that seat. And so here 
in Genesis 13, we start to see, you know, what I would call trouble in paradise. Yeah. And this relationship mm-hmm. starts to get strained a little bit. So why don't we read 13, one through four? Sure. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had built first an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he's back. He's back. Yeah, and and he basically retraces his steps, right? Yeah. So um, he's released from Egypt with lots of spoils, foreshadowing the Exodus. He, Sarai, and Lot, and they take Mm -hmm. all of their wealth and possessions right back up the exact same route that they came down. They retrace their steps from the Negev, which means south. It's kind of that that desert in, in the south, uh, south of the what will become the promised land. And he settles between Bethel and Ai. Mm. And so Bethel, I think we mentioned this last time, means house of God. Mm-hmm. Bet means house. El means God. So Bet El on the west. And then Ai, which is one of the first cities that will be conquered in the book of Joshua, is on the east. And you reorient yourself in terms of the symbolic significance mm-hmm. of the cardinal directions, yeah. right? Where uh, west is going towards God yeah. and east is movement away from mm-hmm. God, which we've seen all the way from, from the beginning um, when, when the humans fall. So he goes up to this place. He probably restores the altars that he previously set up and he continues to worship Yahweh. He, he calls upon the name of the Lord yeah. and, he, and he's claiming the ground in a limited way, this is the beginning of conquest Mm. because he's in this land of the Canaanites where they worship other gods and he's setting up Yahweh altars Mm -hmm. and calling on the name of Yahweh. And so it's a foreshadowing of the conquest that's going to take place Mm -hmm. here in, you know, whatever, 400 years Mm -hmm. or something. And so um, one of the important themes in the story of Abraham is that his life foreshadows the life of Israel. So almost everything that we're going to see Abraham go through is a type or a, a mini foreshadowing of something bigger that Israel's going to go through. Mm. So so remember, these are stories that the Israelites would know. Yeah. Now, whether or not it was written down, that that depends, right? But at least oral tradition they know who Abraham is, right. that he's the father of, of their nation. He knows they, they should know these stories. And so they're supposed to look at what he does and how it goes. And they're supposed mm-hmm. to pattern their life mm-hmm. after that. Right. Yeah. And uh, of course, what we'll see is they do the exact opposite. And yeah. We'll get into something <laughs> yeah. next week. Uh, um, actually, we, uh, yeah, I think next week in 14, <laughs> we'll get into showing exactly how, in 400 years, they completely do not take these stories with mm. Abraham and, and map it onto themselves. Um, but but that is one of the the things that Abraham's doing mm-hmm. is he's foreshadowing the life of Israel. So um, you see this here as he begins the conquest of Canaan by setting up altars of Yahweh in yeah. a land where they worship foreign gods. So then let's do let's do five through seven. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. All right, so what when you read that, Jackie, like mm-hmm. what's weird about that last line? Well, it just feels like 
random. Okay. Like, <laughs> also, these people were living here. Yeah, right. I feel like the Bible does that sometimes. It does. Where it, like, reminds you. We've seen that before, where you have a whole paragraph, and they're like, also. Yeah. Foot, it's like almost like a footnote. Yeah, Here and here's something random. And here's a you. fun fact about the land. And, and so, you're like, oh, okay. And so, like, you have to remember, like, one of the things we've been talking about from the beginning is how pregnant with meaning everything mm-hmm. in the Bible is. Everything means something and more. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason that this is there, right? And so we're, we're going to talk about that here in a second. But you have this personal story of Abram and Lot, and uh, there's this, this trouble in paradise, like I said. They've got too much stuff, sounds like. They're too wealthy. Yeah. Right? They're too blessed. Mm. And... Uh, when you think about the bless the 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 promise that God has made to Abram, right now Lot is in a good position because he's connected to Abram. Yeah, he's like receiving the blessing yes. because he's near Abram. Yeah. And so God promised to bless Abram mm-hmm. and he promised to bless those who bless him. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be connected to the 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 receiver of these blessings, uh, then then Abram or then Lot is in a good spot, mm-hmm. right? Um and the results are already showing they have too much, too many possessions. They've got too many animals, too wealthy, yeah. and the land can't support them. The actual Hebrew here says the the land can't lift them up. Mm. Nasat is the word, and so it's like they're they're just it's too much, yeah. right? Um, and so they start to quarrel, mm-hmm. or at least the people in their group start to quarrel. Sure, because now you're fighting over like. There's only so much land for herds to graze and stuff like that. Right. And and that's how, you know, it's kind of how it is in collaboration where it's like, okay, we're working together, but we do still kind of have like our sides, right? Well, like, yeah, we're still looking out for our own interests. Yeah. Like I'm still protecting my herds. And right. It's not, not yours. It's not collectivism. Like Lot's stuff is Lot's stuff. That's a good point. Right. And, yeah. and Abram's stuff is Abram's stuff. Yeah. So they're cooperating and moving together and that's a good thing, but they're, they're, Herders are quarreling. There's distinction between them. Yeah. Yeah. And so that random line at the end of this, you know, Mm -hmm. okay, Abram and Lot are moving along. Their flocks are so numerous Mm -hmm. that bickering begins. Oh, and by the way, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are in the land. Yeah. It's like, well, why is that? Right. And so when the Bible says something weird, it's almost always important. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things Tim Mackey taught me is if you see something in the Bible, that's very strange, uh, our instinct is to skip over it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's actually going to be very theologically important or important part of the story. And so I think this is what's what's going on here. Lot is supposed to be aligned with Abram. Mm-hmm. And as long as he is, that's the path to prosperity and shalom and blessings because mm-hmm. that's what God has promised to Abram and all those who, who bless Abram. Um, but instead, they start to quarrel. And... Lot is quarreling with God's anointed, hmm. right? With, with with Abram. And when you think about the story and you think all the way back to Ham and the sons of Ham, and then you look forward in the story to the Israelite conquest of the land, you know who else quarrels hmm. with the anointed people of God? Yeah. The, the Canaanite. Canaanites. Hmm. And so, okay, Lot starts to quarrel with Abram. Oh, by the way, the Canaanites are in the land. Mm-hmm. And so... The Canaanites are cursed, according to the story so far, because Ham tried to take his father's position of authority, mm-hmm. right? The vestment that Noah was wearing indicates his kingship and priesthood. Mm-hmm. And 
Ham goes into his tent, sees that the robe is off of him, and it, and so the authority is up for grabs. And the idea is is at least what I proposed is that he went outside to his brothers and said, "Hey, we can take this now." Yeah. And so his brother said no, and then Ham got cursed, mm-hmm. and the Canaanites, his his offspring, are cursed. Um. And so, what what Lot is now doing is somewhat moving in that direction. Yeah. Starts to try to take some land for himself and his herds, make a name in a way for himself. It's not, well, let's just merge. Let me support you. It seems to be for his own glory. Exactly. Uh, He's acting like a Canaanite. Hmm. He's acting like a son of Ham, even though he's not. Yeah. Now, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in terms of the judgment of God, but what what we're going to see over and over, which is terrifying, is that God sometimes will eventually say, "Okay, you want to act, you want to do that, you want to have that, fine." And that's sometimes the most terrifying. Yeah, yeah we've said that before. And so God's going to mm-hmm. say, "You want to act like a Canaanite, then maybe I'll treat you like a Canaanite." Yeah. And so watch what happens to Lot mm-hmm. throughout the story. Watch where he ends up. And, and how, how his life goes. This is basically the beginning of the downward spiral because, you know, those who bless you, I will bless, but those who, who curse you, I will curse. Mm-hmm. And here's Lot beginning to go down that road of quarreling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Abram is a good leader and seems to be a godly person. And so yeah. uh, he, he proposes something here. Let's go all the way from eight to, through 13. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, so again, kind of a little random factoid at the end of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> the people yeah. there were wicked and were <laughs> now, sinning. Yeah. Um, so uh, Abram actually acts wisely and magnanimously here, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, he offers to peacefully mitigate the conflict that he starts to see with Lot. And he tells Lot, you know, you choose. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You choose what you want, and then I'll take the other thing. Yeah, it's very nice. He's giving him the chance to take what seems best in his eyes. He's not even going to say, I'm going to the land that I think is the best here. Why don't you take that, Right. what's left over? Right. So yeah. so he's, he's acting graciously. Mm-hmm. He's acting godly. Mm-hmm. And so it says that Lot, I think the translation we read said that he looked around. Yeah. Um, again, and he saw the whole plain of Jordan. The Hebrew word is that he lifted up mm. his eyes. So remember the land yeah. can't lift them up. It can't mm-hmm. support them. Nasat. The, then, then Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees the beautiful land to what direction? To the east again. See? Yeah. Okay. So um, it first of all, it says that it looks like the garden of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. So... Sometimes you'll hear people say that Eden is not necessarily explicitly referenced throughout the rest of the Bible. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, this <laughs> doesn't call it Eden, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the creation story, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the Garden of Eden looks luscious and mm-hmm. and, and uh, 
fertile and, and prosperous, right? Um, and again, remember all of this happening in that fertile crescent area. Mm-hmm. And so it also says that it looks like the land of Egypt. Yeah. Which is kind of strange, but they were just in Egypt, right? Sure. And in Exodus, after the sons of Jacob settle in, in Egypt, after the whole situation with Joseph, um, the, the they actually end up settling in the most fertile part of the land, mm. which is Goshen, mm. which is like known uh, to be green and well watered. And so mm. this is a reference to Goshen. Okay. Also. Now, both of those places, they get expelled from. Yeah. Right? They get expelled from the garden and they get expelled from Egypt. And so it's again foreshadowing in the language here that, that Lot looks east and uh, he sees this good land. Now, to take the good land is not a sin. Yeah. So we don't live in a hospitality culture, but in hospitality cultures, if you offer somebody someone something and they refuse, it's actually rude. Yeah. So like if you ever go to a country uh, where hospitality is part of what they do, usually mm-hmm. this happens in poorer countries and they offer you food or something and you refuse, it's very offensive. Yeah. And so... Um, it's not a sin for Lot to look and to take the good land. Mm-hmm. It's it's offered to him by sure. Abram, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but there's a couple things that are symbolically simmering beneath the the surface here, mm-hmm. right? Number one, he lifts up his eyes, he sees the land, and the land looks like the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. and the land looks good. Mm-hmm. There's a theme for us. And so, what does he do? He takes it. What happened in the garden? Eve saw something that looked good. She took okay. it. Yeah. What What did Pharaoh do? He saw Sarai. She looked good. So he took her. What is What is David going to do? He's going to see Bathsheba. She's going to look good. So he'll take her. So there's a psalm. Um, I'm sorry, a, a proverb. It's Proverbs 14, 12. Mm. And it says, there's a way that looks mm. right to man, mm-hmm. but in the end it leads to death. Yeah. And so you see this over and over and over again. And so first of all, um, it's not an explicit rebellion. It's not an explicit sin, but he does see something. He sees that it's good and he takes it. You know, when Abram sets off, sets out towards um, his destination, he's been given direction from God mm-hmm. and he calls on the name of the Lord a lot. We don't see that from Lot here. That's true. I don't know if he has. That's true. But in, in the text, we see him decide for himself where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. Abram seems to be walking hand in hand with God mm. to figure out where he's going, what he's supposed to be doing. But Lot looks up and sees what looks good and goes. Right. That's a good point. And we know that that uh, a, that Lot's grandfather, Terah, mm-hmm. was an idol worshiper. Yeah. So uh, very possible. Yeah that Lot is not worshiping God mm-hmm. and he's blessed because he's connected to Abram, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Who is worshiping God. Um, and then, you know, uh, number two, um, which way does he go? He goes east. Okay. So when the humans sin, where are they sent? East of the garden. When Cain kills his brother, where are they sent? East of Eden. So you see this theme happen mm-hmm. over and over. When the Israelites get exiled to Babylon, where's Babylon? East. Way east. Far east, yeah. So... There is this, you know, we've talked about this over and over, but just just to rehash it one more time, something about these cardinal directions, west symbolizes towards God. When mm-hmm. the Israelites enter the promised land, 
they come all the way up and around the Jordan River so that they can enter going west mm -hmm. from the east, mm -hmm. right? That's not the only way they, they could do that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it means something because towards God is, is symbolized by going west and, and going east symbolizes mm -hmm. going away from God. And then number three, you know, like you just talked about, he is disconnecting himself from God's anointed and therefore disconnecting himself from God. Yeah. There's no mention, like you said, about him being a Yahweh worshiper. Yeah. I don't see him setting up altars. I don't see him calling upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Right? It's not his, mentioned. His fellowship seems to be to Abram because that's his uncle. He, he doesn't seem to say, I'm following the Lord, so let right. me do what he says. And, and so then at the very end of this verse, where does he go towards? Sodom. East. He goes yeah. towards Sodom. And what's the problem with Sodom? That footnote there that the people are great, greatly sinning against the Lord. They're wicked. Yeah. Hmm. So one of the reasons that this is mentioned explicitly, and this is actually, we have an intern here um, named Alexander Patterson. Actually, Sean Patterson was on the podcast. His yeah. son, Alexander, is one, of our, with us. is one of our interns, and he's helping with some of this research. And, and he brought this up to me, which was really good. Uh, one of the reasons this is mentioned explicitly is because this means that he knew that. Mm. The people of Sodom were wicked and sinned greatly against the Lord. That's not a secret. Yeah. Right? It's there because Lot goes that direction knowing that. Mm. So it's not entirely innocent. There's a commentary on our own lives. Right. right. Putting yeah, ourselves in situations that we know, you know, are, are at least surrounded by wickedness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we say, no, we can handle yeah, it. Yeah, I got that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian, so I can live in Sodom. Yeah, mm, that's good. Well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, okay, so that's all happening here as, as Lot sees the land towards Sodom and Gomorrah, mm -hmm. sees that it's good, moves east, moves towards the wickedness, and away from God's blessed, anointed Abram. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Mm. Mm. So where does Abram go? Which, which place? Well, he's in Canaan, so he goes, goes west, Canaan. right? And where was the call always for him to go? Canaan. Right, so here he is again, Yeah. and Abram went. Mm. He's being faithful to God, and the promise becomes a little clearer because Abram is now promised that land mm -hmm. specifically, and he God begins to promise him this like idea of countless descendants. Yeah, uh, to to a man who he, he and his wife have not been able to have children. And he's just been separated from what is his, his most heir. likely heir, yeah. And so um, well, one of the things that's interesting, there's another thing that Alexander pointed out to me. Uh, when Abram, who was acting extremely graciously, said to Lot, look to your left and look to your right and take whatever you want. When God speaks to Abram, he says, look to your left, look to your right, look up, Look down, yeah. north, south, east, west, all this is yours. Yeah. Mm. So even the grace that we can exhibit as images of God pale in comparison mm. to the grace that God, yeah. you know, gives to us. And so um, uh, here's Abram, an old man with no children, 
And the promise is that your offspring will be in number like the dust of the earth, Mm -hmm. the grains of the sand. You know, if you've ever just been to a beach, just think about the concept of counting those grains of sand. It's ridiculous. Of counting those particles of dust in the desert. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the the promise that, that, that God makes him. If you can count the particles of dust, you can count your offspring. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to make you here in this in this land. Now, symbolically, dust is very important in the story so far. Mm-hmm. This word is different than the word earth. Okay. And th- it's used very rarely. Okay. But when you think of dust, what do you think back to? Adam being formed from the dust. So Adam was formed from yeah. dust, right? Then what happens when they fall? Um, they're cursed to the ground, to the dust. Back to the dust, yeah. right? From the dust you came, back to the dust, dust you shall return. return. Yeah. And down in that dust, the serpent has dominion, right? Is eating yeah, the dust. He's around right? the dust. He's, he has dominion over over the dead. And so you could say that the fall of man is characterized by the fact that we came out of the dust mm-hmm. and then in our rebellion we go back into the mm-hmm. dust, right? Uh um just like creation came out of the water mm-hmm. and then in sin, in the flood, it goes back into the water, yeah. right? So we come out of the water. The main consequence of our sin is death, which means we go, or sorry, we come out of the dust. The main consequence of, of sin is death, which means we go back into the dust. Mm-hmm. So then what is God promising here? He's promising that his descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Yeah, so it's like, the redemption of God yeah. is to bring back out of that dust a multitude, yeah, and salvation. Mm. So, so we we come from the dust, we go back to the dust because of sin, and yet the promise to Abram is through you and your offspring, redemption will come mm. back out of that dust. Yeah, your people will be like the dust of the earth, which right now represents death, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus is going to die. And he's going to go into the dust. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to come out of the dust. And salvation comes through the family of Abraham and in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so yeah. it's like really rich symbolism here mm-hmm. about, about wh- who we are, where, we, where we've gone because of sin, and what God is promising. And, and, and using this, this kind of rare Hebrew word about dust is, mm-hmm. is quite, uh, it's quite interesting. And to, and I actually think it's not improper to point to resurrection here. Uh, yeah, for sure. Right? That that um, Abram's family is not going to live to see salvation through Christ. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in the dust. Mm-hmm. God has promised to bring them, and what Paul's going to say, everyone connected with them yeah. out of the dust, right, in Christ. And so... Um, this is the promise to, to Abram. All of that theology and then all of the physical, you know, land and materials and children and all of that. And so think about what kind of faith it would require from, from Abram to believe that promise. Yeah. You know, he's old and he and Sarah can't have kids. And so right now the seed, the heir is Lot. But Lot is now down in Sodom doing God knows what. Right. And we're going to find out. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I think because Lot is wealthy, he's going to go into Sodom and he's going to have leadership mm-hmm. position there. Sure, yeah. To some degree. And so um, 
the things that happened in Sodom that we're going to read about coming up, I don't think that Lot is innocent from that. Mm. Well, right now he's the seed. Yeah. So that is like an absolute tragedy for the promises of God at the moment, right? And so Abram's just been separated from the heir, and yet God tells him this promise about children and about the promised land and mm-hmm. about where uh, he, he's going to go. And so this is the kind of faith that's reckoned as righteousness. Yeah, he can't see anything tangible that could come or that could that could bring this promise to fruition. Right. But he's in the place that God told him to go, and he's living there. Yeah. Um, and so that's the faith of Abram that becomes a a type, you know, a, a, a prototype of what it looks like to have faith and to mm-hmm. believe God. Yeah. Um, and so he's, we end the chapter, he's in the Oaks of Mamre, he's calling on the name of the Lord, he's settled in tents there in the land of Canaan, and, mm-hmm. and God promises him that land. And so um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up here. Um, one of the takeaways that, is not maybe as exciting as some of the stuff that we get to uncover when we read the Bible, is that one of the key themes of Genesis is going to be patience. Mm. Right? And Paul is going to say that's a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So that that idea of patience is not just in Genesis, right? But the story of Abram and Sarah is a story of, of patience. Mm. And the story of sin so far is a story of impatience. Hmm. Story of God promising people something in time and people wanting to take it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is really, really hard for us. One of the reasons that patience only comes through the fruit of the spirit, the Mm -hmm. power of the the God himself is because as humans, we're we're bound by space and time. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're finite. And our lived experience is confined, at least at at the moment, to a very small amount of time that we spend here in this life. So let's just say you live 70 years. 10 years is a really big chunk of that 70 years. Yeah. Right? And so it seems like a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the consequences of this is that, that we want what we want now. Yeah. Because waiting feels like a cost. Mm-hmm. There's only so much time. If I'm going to be blessed, if something's going to happen in my life, I need it now. You know, mm-hmm. if like I, I turned 35 this year, if I live to 70, my life is half over this year. Yeah. So waiting until I'm 50 for something that I want, mm-hmm. that feels like a tremendous cost, mm-hmm. right? And so, so we live like that, and, and we kind of demand that God moves like that, mm-hmm. where we don't want to wait, right? We don't want to wait for his blessings. We don't want to wait for, for what he's promising, because time is short. Life is short. Time is money, you know, all of, all of the sayings. And so we want him to act. We want him to act now. We want him to speak. We want him to speak now. We have a dilemma. We want him to help me solve that dilemma now. And it makes the Christian life very frustrating because he never works like that. Yeah. Almost never. Yeah. Right? And so so God is not finite mm-hmm. and bound by time. He's eternal and he's infinite. And so he's doing something and he's up to something and he is moving, but it's not on our timeline. Mm. He doesn't have 70, 80 years. He has eternity. Mm-hmm. And he's working what he's doing. Uh, and the dilemma for us is to move into God's space. 
Yeah. And to understand that mm. and to trust him. That for me personally, with 80 years of life, perhaps, it would be really nice if this thing came right now. Mm. But I'm a part of a story that is infinite and eternal. And so God moves in ways that are slow mm. in our experience. Yeah. Um, Hebrews, which is going to become very important in, in the story of Abraham, actually. The book of Hebrews says, it mentions this when it talks about the hall of witnesses. It says, you know, Abraham never saw. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. He didn't see Jesus. Yeah. He didn't see this. He was waiting. Uh, There's an entire generation of the Exodus who died in the wilderness. Yeah. Never even saw the promised land. Moses never saw the promised land. There was an entire generation of people, multiple generations who died in slavery in Egypt. There's multiple generations who died in exile in Babylon. God is moving. Mm. And yet his scale is so grand that sometimes we don't see the things that we want to see. And, and one of the, the challenges of faith is to believe that as long as you're taking that next step of faith that's in front of you right now, that you are a part of the movement of God. Yeah, and to say that as long as you're in communion with God, that's enough. Yeah. To say that I don't need what I think I want or I don't need to see the fruition of things God's promised my descendants Mm. to know that I have God Mm. and I trust him. That's hard for us because we secretly put a lot of these, Jen Wilkin talks about this in a, a book um, I'm reading with some girls about how we would never say, I want God and, mm-hmm. but we tack that onto our lives all the time. So like, I want God and a good life, like a good home. I want God and wealth. I want mm-hmm. God and health. So the faith that it takes yes. to say, I want God and nothing else. And so I'll move at his pace and right. trust his timing is huge. Right. I want God and I want to be and I want to be rich. Yeah. Well, maybe you can't. Yeah. Maybe you can. But maybe like Lot, the the path to material prosperity is you have to go to Sodom and 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 become wicked. Yeah. Well, that's not what God wants for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's normal to want wealth mm-hmm. or blessing or prosperity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that isn't what your life is about. Your life is about God. Yeah. And and plugging yourself into that in faith is part of the story. And so what you're going to see is just a heroic amount of patience and trust from Abram and Sarah in the story. Mm-hmm. And they mess up a couple times mm-hmm. and they become impatient sometimes. Um, but all in all, you see God moving really slow and not in a way that if you or I were putting together an efficient strategy of how do we bring salvation mm-hmm. through Abraham, not in that kind of way. We wouldn't do it like he does it. Um, the flip side of trust and patience is the impatience that has basically characterized all of the sins so far in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So the humans in the garden have been given the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And on God's timeline, they're going to receive that. As they live with him and learn from him and become mature, they're going to be given wisdom, Mm -hmm. the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, uh, what the serpent tells them is you can have it now. Yeah. You want it? 
It's right there. Eat the fruit. Jurors, take it. Mm-hmm. You, you won't die. Take it. And so they see it. And instead of waiting for what God will eventually bless them with and give them, they, they try to take it for themselves and they fall. Yeah. Cain has a problem. His problem is that his brother's sacrifice was well-received by God and his was not. Mm -hmm. And so God says, relax. Why are you so angry? Just do well and everything will be well for you. That's Mm -hmm. what God tells him. He counsels Mm -hmm. him in this way. But Cain does not submit to that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't wait. He doesn't do well and move into the blessings of God. He wants to take the problem and solve it. And so he kills his brother Abel and... Mm -hmm. He takes it into his own hands. And so Cain falls. Noah is anointed as priest and king Mm -hmm. by God. Now, like anything that has to do with inheritance, his sons are going to be given this. Mm -hmm. They're going to be given his authority. I don't know how God would divide that up, but his sons are in line for the blessings of Noah and the authority of Noah to move to them when he dies. Well, Ham goes into the tent, he sees that Noah's authority is up for grabs and he tries to take it. Yeah. And he falls yeah. and he's cursed. The Tower of Babel, right? God will make great all those who are bound to him by faith. Mm. But the humans band together and they try to build this tower so that they can take that greatness for their own names for themselves right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you hear the thing, pride comes before the fall. Mm-hmm. And, and that is certainly true. Um, so does impatience. Yeah. And lack of trust. Yeah. Right? It's like sometimes we we look at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul says, and we say, you know, um, these are like good virtues. And we kind of make it like, yeah, being patient is good. And we think about children where, yeah. you know, they want to talk to you when you're in a conversation with another adult and you make them say, excuse me, and then wait. Like that. that's good patience, yeah. right? But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about, a godly quality. The most quoted verse in the Bible, uh, the most quoted verse of the Bible in the Bible mm. is the verse in Exodus where God describes what he's like. Mm. And one of the things he says is that I'm long-suffering. Yeah. So to be true images of God is to move into this patience. And like you said, um, when, when you were talking about Lot, part of part of the calling card of those who find themselves cast away from God Mm. is because they don't want to wait. Yeah. They don't believe it's coming. Yeah. And so they see it and they think, I'll just take it. Mm -hmm. And the, the consequence is the fall. Yeah. How many times have perceived shortcuts in our lives led to lengthier problems because we weren't willing to wait? Yeah. Mm. Um, a little preview of next episode is that uh, Lot is going to find himself conquered mm. by kings because Lot is connected to Sodom. Mm-hmm. And then Abram has to rescue him. Mm-hmm. And in order to rescue him, Abram has to rescue Sodom. And the king of Sodom offers Abram land and things. And Abram says no. Mm. And there's lots of lot different theological reasons for that, which we'll get into. But one of the reasons is because God has already promised Abram land. Yeah, what more could this king give him? You know, he doesn't want to take the king of Sodom's offer on land. Mm-hmm. He wants God's offer on land. Look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, look to the south. All this will be yours. Mm-hmm. Well, 
you can say when you read the story from a virtue perspective, of course, that's the right move. Trust God and not the king of Sodom. But when that offer gets put in front of you, man. It's tempting. You, you, better, you better be formed mm. in the righteousness of God and walking in the spirit to not succumb to that yeah. and take that temptation of having it now. Um, it used to be, uh, when I was growing up, even like in the 90s, one of the worst things you would call someone was a sellout, mm. right? Because it was like you maybe you were a musician and you had your art and there's something beautiful about that art, but then to make it popular and sell and get rich, you have to change it and do yeah. things that your label wants and that your promoters want and that the people want, the popular culture wants. And so you're a sellout. And that was like a big insult. It's almost not even an insult anymore. Mm. People make startup companies with the pure intention of just selling them. Yeah. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that 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 this is prescient for us. Mm. Right? That get rich quick, the quick fix. Yeah. Taking what you want now. Mm-hmm. That is in our especially in a world of material prosperity, that is always going to be the temptation. That's the struggle, that's the culture, yeah. Right? You can uh you can find a form of intimacy without committing your life to another person. Mm. We all want intimacy. Mm. You can find something that feels like that with somebody Mm -hmm. without committing your life to them. The Christian command is not to take that, Mm. to, to give your whole soul to another person in marriage and to find true intimacy that way. Mm. Right? Well, uh, that is all, that's all well and good. There, there will be a time in your life, especially as a young person, where that offer is in front of you. Yeah. Where that girl or that guy is in front of you and the ability to have intimacy and to find whatever it is that we find in that mm-hmm. stuff is right there. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the moment. That's the moment where you see the fruit. That's the moment where you see the land off to the east that looks prosperous but it's kind of around wicked people, mm-hmm. right? And so this is actually very, very uh, prescient and, and applicable to mm-hmm. our own lives. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I always just want to point out is the way that this stuff maps onto each other in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? What you see in, in the fall is the same thing you see with Cain, is the same thing you see with Ham, is the same thing you see at the Tower of Babel, is the same thing that you see here with Lot. And, and uh, Abram is a contrast to that mm-hmm. where he's moving in patience and trust in God. Mm-hmm. So next time we get into uh, an action, an action packed episode because we're going to talk yeah. about a war. We're talking about a battle, right? Yeah. And the battle of course is exciting. Like an action movie. It's also very, very theologically deep. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see uh, the, the prophecy that Noah gives to, Ham and Shem and Japheth. We're going to see that start to come to fruition in this battle. We're going to see uh, Abram act as a uh, mediator and a rescue of Lot, which is going to then map onto Christ being our mediator. Uh, and, and so we're, we're going to see all kinds of stuff next episode. So um, yeah, you got anything else? No, exciting stuff ahead. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week for Genesis chapter 14 on Story Simple Spirit.